Hello, I'm Pascal Abisher and welcome to this new podcast from the Pandemic and Beyond, a project funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council at the University of Exeter to show how research in the arts and humanities is helping us live through, make sense of and recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. Today's is a special type of podcast because I've invited not one, but three projects because they all have something to do with how the creative industries have rethought performance during the pandemic using digital means. So I've got three guests. Uh, The first is Richard Mizek from the University of Kent from the Digital Access to Arts and Culture Project. My second guest is Stan Strutt from Goldsmiths College, who represents the MoCap Streamer Project. And my third guest is Paul Sermon from the University of Brighton from the Telepresence Stage Project. And I'm going to hand over straight away to Richard Mizek to just give us a few insights into his project. Thank you, Pascal. So I think my project began with a focus on video streaming and noticing very early in the pandemic how many arts organisations had pivoted to it. And I suppose it began with a slightly naive assumption that going online would immediately and automatically lead to a range of access and inclusion benefits. Um, So fast forward 18 months, and clearly that's not the case. in an in a overall sense, it's had, I think, a particularly positive effect for disabled audiences, for geographically remote audiences, and for older audiences, as well as various other uh, kinds of arts, people engaging with arts. And so the focus of the project over, since we started um, 11 months ago, has moved more towards focusing on specific best practices and areas where accessibility wins have been achieved already, through arts organizations going online and where they haven't, but potentially could be. And I suppose that's that's the context of my project. So in some ways it's out looking in, but my own personal interest is very much from a kind of aesthetic technological perspective also. Um, before this project, my I come to it from an interest in uh, online video, um, streaming video as one of my main research streams. Um, I'm very, very interested in hybridity, and it's not really central to the project in this sense at this point, but I'm very interested in the way the forms, the artistic forms are changing and have evolved and how digital has imbricated itself in all sorts of new ways of engaging with audiences. Um, and for example, as a, at an early point in the project last February, when we were still not had much to do, we were just waiting for lots of people to email us back. Um, I did a short three-week um, project, which was based on a previous VR piece that I did Um, which was a a live performance for VR work at some film festivals pre-pandemic. And we did an online version in an empty cinema where um, it was for Melbourne Film Festival. And it involved um, three of us, um, a person in in a VR headset in Melbourne with one of the artists there with them being filmed, two of us in London being live streamed um, onto the cinema screen of the largest cinema in Melbourne, um, giant talking heads, and then live streaming that online and just really immersing ourselves in the kind of complexities and the potentialities of 
hybridizing performance and online. So I'm very excited to, to hear what you know, Paul and Dan um, have been working on um, in their projects. Bringing people from very far removed geographical locations together into a single virtual space. Sounds like a, like a perfect bridge across to Paul and his work on telepresence. Yeah, sure, Pascal, thank you. And uh, yeah, it does, it follows on and, and connects very much with what Richard was talking about. The project, the Telepresence Stage, is um, is really, it's a collaboration. So there's a number of other partners involved from the Saar College of Arts in Singapore and the Third Space Network in Washington, D.C. So this project is about how the performing arts has struggled to find a way of continuing uh, experience of theatre in an online context. And we've sort of seen examples of how people have tried that of course with things like zoom and teams and and really the project is is about escaping that paradigm that sort of that sort of rigid box that people have put in we're all presented like news readers in these in these these applications and this is just not fit for purpose for theater so the project is is really about trying to find find new ways ways to escape these boxes we're in to coexist in a, in a shared space um, and so we're using all sorts of technologies to do that. Uh, we're exploring different kinds of um, video systems that are available. So there's lots of different, some of, some of that's quite bespoke and some of that quite sort of commercially driven softwares. A lot of uh, network, my own work is in network arts practices. Um, and having done a lot of work with this idea of telepresence, the sort of a notion of, of, of uh, converged video across networks and sharing spaces and having really sort of enriched experiences through video that are that we've worked with but we're the project itself is working with theatre companies in the UK so we're working with eight different theatre companies across the, the project and uh, and we run these residencies where we invite the theatre companies and all the members of the theatre company are all in been in lockdown and they're all in their remote locations and we we, we connect them into one sort of coexistent shared space where they're composited on screen. We use effects like chroma keying, um, technologies, green screening and blue screening, that sort of thing. And we, we put them into the same scene. And they, it's, it's really a, the, the thing about this project that's, that's unique and what, we're, what we've learned from it, that, and I think that theatre companies have really got something out of, is that whole idea that, that this format is not is not a telephone, it's not a thing you look, you don't look at a camera and look at a screen and, and sort of simulate this, this visual version of a telephone. It's, it's, it's about actually another space, a coexistent third space, the theatre space. The best way to describe it actually is the way, what we're doing technically is rather like the sort of paper theatre, where, they, where they're literally you have your, your wings and your backgrounds and you have your, your, your characters, and they're all 2D layers, rather like video is. And we're just simply doing that. We're, we're using video of participants, of, of scenography, of props. And we're moving things in the foreground, the background. We're allowing our actors to, 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 to move around each other, occupy a space together. And it really is, it's like creating a theatre like online. But that is about the actors in many ways that get, they probably get the best experience because they're the ones who, who can suddenly find themselves in a, in a coexistent shared space. And that sense of, of empathy occurs in that space, that sense of, of, of proprioception of shared spaces. And, and it's a phenomenological experience of seeing the self as other 
uh, it was like you're looking in a mirror, but you're looking into a screen that is a mirror of the self and the other in a coexistent space. So there's all these rich things coming out of that. And the relationship to self as other with another other <laughs> is, is a really it's extraordinarily empath empathetic in terms of understanding a coexistence together and, and a theatre, a performance that's really rewarding and enriching. So we've done these residences and anyway, I, I think it's it's a really exciting project and we're, the companies are just learning an awful lot from it and, and we're documenting everything we do. We're writing extensive case studies on each of these residences. Look, go, go out on our website and they go back into the sector and to provide examples of what how people could use this stuff and we we explain it in extremely in depth about how we've done it but we hopefully explain it in in simple bite-sized chunks that people can actually access and use in their own performances yeah so it's really industry focused as well as experimental and and that's the sort of thing as well as the idea of coexisting in a third space and sort of the, the empathy which is also pushed forward in Dan's project and the mocap streamer. Do you, do you want to just talk about how you, you've added yet another dimension to that through virtual touch? Yeah, hi. So picking up exactly on what Paul was saying about this, these little boxes and the little figures in them, for dancers, that was a, an, an, a, an even bigger problem. You know, their whole discipline, depending on this full fully embodied expression, um, through dance in real sort of three-dimensional spaces. There's no way that a two-dimensional box could really do service to that. So we were already working on a project with an institution in Singapore about just a remote collaboration. I was really surprised to discover at that time that there wasn't really a, a tool for the streaming of motion capture data in both ways. So basically you can bring two dancers into the same virtual space. So I said, well, can we build one? I'm not a technical person. I'm a film theorist. And everyone was like, well, yeah, we can try. And then suddenly the pandemic happened, right? And then we were like, wow, this is really appropriate to that. Um, the dance partners we were already working with were increasingly frustrated with using tools like Zoom and FaceTime to do classes and do rehearsals and things like that, and just to try and stay active as they would on a, on a normal way in a physical spaces in studios. So um, we have spent all of 2021 refining this tool. Well, first of all, building it, then testing it in an experimental mode and then refining it so we can present something that's kind of aesthetically pleasing that the dancers can really project themselves into this space in, in an embodied sense. Obviously, there's limitations to that massively, but you know, by exploring different types of aesthetics and different types of interaction that need to be designed in the virtual spaces, you know, I think we've really made a strong case study that this kind of interaction is, is valuable. It can be aesthetically high integrity. Um, it's certainly not a substitute for being in the in the physical space, um, but it's you know, we've had some real uh, you know amazing moments of um, connection and sharing and out-of-body experiences, as the dancers explained it uh, in their own words, uh, of projecting themselves into these shared um, virtual spaces. Obviously, these virtual spaces, maybe I should say, are generated live in real time using game engines. We started off using the game engine uh, Unity, and we've moved on to using Unreal Engine. And we are, the dancers are dancing in avatar bodies in um, landscapes which can be you know minimal or you know or 
fantastic or you know and there can be objects within that landscape that they can interact with um, we've also put dancers into VR um, as well in the London Film Festival this year we managed to um, do something with dancers in, in, a, in a VR environment in real time projected into that and in that instance those dancers were in the same room together but um, they didn't need to be. They were all connected to certain computers, uh, different computers, I should say. So the idea is that um, dancers from anywhere in the world can jump into a single virtual space, even with VR goggles on, although there's a certain, there's a certain health and safety risk about dancing with the VR goggles on. But um, this is what we have strived to evidence throughout the project. In, we've just received follow-on funding through till 2023. Um, I suppose. And uh, in this, so having in the first project evidenced the capacity to produce meaningful work with professional dancers, for the next phase of the project or the follow-on funding project, we're, we're, we're going to roll that out. We're going to start doing residencies like Paul is, um, building a, a global network, I think I called it, for um, deployment of this. And that's funded through the AHRC follow-on funding for sustainable development under UNESCO's um, year of sustainable development. And the idea is that this means that people who wouldn't maybe normally have access to, you know, high-tech digital studios can simply use an affordable system to jump into um, virtual spaces. So I, I'm sort of picking up various strands in, in what you've all been talking about. One of them is to do with this sort of a global reach and the ability to, to reach new audiences, but also new practitioners. Uh, and the, the other one has to do with the focus that both Dan and, and Paul have on the, the technologies that allow performers themselves to feel like they are in a, in a new third space in which they can interact with each other. But I'm just wondering uh, what your view is on the connection between the, the focus on the practitioners themselves and their ability to do work despite the limits of the pandemic and the ability of that technology to actually create work for new and more diverse and broader audiences? Yeah, I see no distinction between the two, in a way. They're just two sides of the same coin. And I would follow on from what Dan said about the, the word substitution, to me, is very key. It's very key. And I think there is still a residual sense that different online arts or kind of digitally, you know, third space, digitally based arts are in some way a substitute for live physical arts. And it's still there. And I think it needs to be challenged because it's a real obstacle to you know artistic development both from both sides of a coin um and you know for in our project one thing we've done is looked very deeply at the the myth of the substitution effect from an audience's point of view being that if an audience member experiences something online they're not going to want to experience it live and i think we've put paid to that um through some very clear research findings um and i think the same is true from a creative perspective i think a lot of the limitations of a lot of what's happened on you know in, within the pandemic digitally have come have been designed into the, the works by trying to substitute what live is rather than augment it and find a this third space and so you know the, the prevalence of the live stream in a way you know i mean great but national theater has reached you know 
20 million people through its live streams. But the live stream is in some ways a kind of a, a bolt-on form, actually. And I think what, you know, both Paul and Dan's projects are doing, what's so important, is actually going beyond that paradigm. Um, where substitution isn't really relevant anymore. It's just a whole new thing in itself. And it can be so much more satisfying as well in some ways than having this fixed spectator position in a, in a theatre environment. You know, being able to move up to or through the performers um, or around, you know, there's, there's an intimacy, you know, which sounds strange maybe considering it's, a, you know, completely remote viewing, but, you know, being able to, be in to interact uh, and respond to what the performers are doing in whatever way you know even even if it's just uh, moving your the camera position from which you're looking through so you can pick your select your own viewing angle you know just little things like that can make for a much more dynamic viewing experience but you know i don't go down the route of saying better than or worse than I'm not, I'm not selling a product you know what i mean it's just research and it's just experimental research and you realize that there are there are downsides to it, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, particularly for professional dancers dancing in an avatar body, there's always going to be glitches, there's going to be drift, there's going to be limitations to their physical expression. But then there's also a plus side to that. Um, so they start to move in a different way, they start to focus on a certain range of motions that are, are expressive in this environment. And then that feeds back maybe into their own practice in different ways. So, you know, it's a learning process. And I think that the established institutions of the arts, the theatres, the dance companies and stuff like that, they've got a formula. They know it works. They have a funding structure and, and expectations that they have to meet. It's going to be a very, very long, slow process for them to be able to really disrupt that in any meaningful way. And in, in some ways, in that respect, the pandemic was a gift, right? Because it forced them <laughs> to innovate. The pandemic did the disruption, not the technology itself. But is, is that a problem insofar as people have a sense now that the pandemic is supposedly almost over, that there's a sort of return to normal and that we can stop all this annoying digital innovation that, that has disrupted us and we can go back to the sort of received old ways of, of doing things because we know who our audience are and our audience is going to return to the theatre. And I'm just, just wondering whether that is actually even true. I, mean, I think that it is frustrating. And I think a lot of the people are frust frustrated, but as soon as, soon as there's an assumption that there's a return, there's not a return. But, and I come to that, back to that, but I just want to go back to that other point quickly about this being a, an alternative or a compromise situation, whatever we do. And I, I think from what we've done, this is more a tra transmedia storytelling. You don't choose whether I want to see the film or play the game. You, you, you kind of do both. You, you actually want to experience the narrative. You want to re read the book, see the film, play the game. And it's, a, it's the same sort of thing. I don't see this as a an alternative to theatre in a sense it's but this is another way of telling that story and I'm reminded we're working with a company one of our companies we're working with in in, in the new year will be a, a company called Sharp Teeth Theatre from from Bristol who worked with Bristol Old Vic and they've done a whole load of performances previously called Sherlock in Homes and they're kind of murder mysteries that that take place online and there's these sorts of ideas about doing sorts of performances that you can't do in, in theatre, things that you can't do on greens in, that are interactive that this technology can allow us to do. And I think it's a real problem when we, we try it, when we're thinking this is, this is just a substitute. I, I, 
don't think it is. I think I really think it's another form, another language is emerging out of many of these things. And that's where I think it's, it's hugely interesting and hugely important. I mean, we can't, I mean, the environment question has to be raised at some point. <laughs> and, and we've done an awful lot here that is not about just the pandemic, but it is about the future, about how we, how we can continue to do the sorts of things we do that at such a cost to, to, to all sorts of things, including the environment. So I think the biggest frustration is the kind of drive to say, oh, we can now return. Oh, no, we can't return yet. And as we sit currently in Europe, people are getting really frustrated. What the pandemic has shown is that people are willing to fork out money for an online experience to um, buy a ticket for whatever, 10, 20 pounds, maybe not the same price as a full uh, you know, theatre ticket, but and that you can create a sense of event or buzz around that, you know, um, in the same way that going to the actual theatre to see a work. And it is cheaper, you know, um, I think it's a, an enormously valuable um, experience in that in that sense. But yeah, I do understand. I, th- I think there's an age thing as well. The traditional arts um, are a traditionally older audience. Like I said about professional dancers and professional venues and, and that, that do this kind of work, there's an inflexibility there. But if we look to the younger generation, you know, the, I don't want to say the kids because it ages me, but, <laughs> um, you know, the gamers and the people who are, are, are have lived their entire life with streaming media and they play, you know, Sherlock Holmes games on their request headsets and things like that you know this is the audience right this is the audience we're not going to change the minds of the of the old stodgy theatre gore we're going to change we're going to find new audiences younger audiences audiences are used to interactions and controllers and um, audiences and and are willing to just test stuff out you know experimentally and there's going to be good experiences in that there's going to be bad experiences within that you know the, you're not going to get that absolute solid promise of a quality experience but um you know it'll probably be years before we we can find that but um i think the the younger generation are willing to jump in and give it a go yeah and you know the the theater companies that i've worked with for, for my own uh pandemic and beyond project creation theater and uh big telly northern ireland they've gone over into, into that sort of hybrid mode of made for digital that is actually also not entirely digital. So, so what you were saying there about the cocktails, one of the things that they've been doing for a Christmas show, which comes with a meal that will be delivered to your home so that you have a, a new way of having a ritual engagement with the, the digital offer. That means that you, you will be virtually eating together with other people in other locations, but you'll be eating the same meal. And, and that is just magic. It's combining the digital with the analog and with the sort of somatic experience of what a performance and what a shared experience might be. Yeah. So to, to follow on from that and you know, what, what you said previously, I'm, I, f- I feel quite optimistic at this point, but actually the horse has bolted. You know, there's no going back. Some organizations are going back. You know, you've got the the innovators, the adapters and the resistors. And many of the resistors have gone back. Um, many of the innovators are just out there and there's no stopping them. And the adapters are going to follow slower. Um, 
And I, you know, my feeling is that where it's been least successful, it's where it's been sort of least imaginatively implemented. And if you don't put much, you know, if you do it quickly, hurriedly, if you try and mimic a theatrical experience, if you don't properly publicize it on social media, of course, it's not going to work very well. But then the counter example is something like one of our case studies is, is Tank Museum, um, which is not an organization I would have ever imagined doing a case study on, but they've been so successful. They have an annual festival. The live festival gets in about you know a few thousand people. They went online last year. Um, they used a game engine within which to hold the festival. They got a million participants um, and incredibly young, you know, 16 to 24 primarily. And if that's not happening in other arts organizations, it's just because it's not quite yet being thought through how that audience can be tapped into. But it's there and it's waiting. It sounds like like we we all agree that there is definitely a future in in this sort of thing. But um, just to conclude, I, I'm just wondering whether you've got any thoughts about what needs to be done to the industry or or to the cultural environment or with with industry uh, partners in order to facilitate more of this sort of digital work. I'll, I'll start on that one just because I need I need to you know maybe it's a cautionary kind of thing you know we're like it is still early doors but you know everyone's talking now in public discourse about the metaverse and you know the corporations moving in to essentially colonize the work that we're doing and place limits upon that so i think that you know at the moment it's still uh, you know people are still doing work on a more ad hoc basis it's not grouped together with under single kind of umbrellas not limited in, in those ways i should say i think the idea and, and the discourse around the metaverse is really interesting in fact i called my, the last workshop and uh, event that i did dancing in the metaverse before facebook's announcement i hasten to add um, and it's and it's really puts that idea into people's heads, a vivid idea of, you know, this third space, as Paul is talking about uh, and speaks extensively about in his, his work. This metaverse is a place that people go to, you know, go to venues and see performances and meet their friends and things like that. But there's a real danger of that becoming incredibly homogenous and uh, boring and mundane. And uh, where is the... Um, exciting, critical, experimental edge within that. That's what we need to be cautious about looking towards the future. Yeah, I just wonder whether it might, I mean, as you were saying earlier on, Dan, about people prepared to, prepared to pay to see this stuff. And I think that's interesting. And I think it's interesting when you look at, um, we're talking about some of computer games earlier on, people are prepared to pay quite a lot of, a lot of money for computer games or even Fortnite. Uh, people are prepared, you know, young people are prepared to pay quite a lot of money for skins. Um, you know, it's there is a there is a there's a huge there is a revenue there, yeah, of course. And I think I think we need going forward, we need to look at what that kind of new uh, creative digital industry is 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 like, what it looks like, what it needs, what it what what would help um, people engage in this in these new opportunities, and, and um, of which. I think we're already seeing huge opportunity. And I think that's the kind of thing, that's the sort of message I think for me I would give is that, you know, when we train and when we when we look to, to sort of um, develop new productions, what sorts of new skills do we need? 
what sort of what sort of teams do we need to build? Whether they're, you know, as, as Richard was saying about being knowledge about just get, get it out there on the social on social media, being able to to engage with the technologies, with with the new forms of of dramaturgy and other 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 means of narrative creation. There's some really unique teams of people that could be brought together. I think in the future that that, that are. Um, you know that, that are necessary, and I think interestingly, you know, you look at things like I mentioned Fortnite earlier on, and and you, before the lockdown, I mean, all these young kids were just online, all playing Fortnite. You know, they were really engaged in this this online world, and no one said, "Oh, I can't wait to get out off, <laughs> off online and back into the physical." And so it's a sort of I think we're caught in a bit of a false false. Um, uh, idea about what it, what it is, what what, re, what the sort of real experience actually is. And how about you, Richard? Are there any sort of things that you think we need to put in place to facilitate more of this openness to hybrid work? Yeah, how long do you have? Oh, 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, absolutely, yes. Um, following on from, from Paul, um, the, the sense of sort of collaboration um, across arts and technology, of course, um, highlighted very much in the interviews we've been doing, the many of the most kind of revelatory experiences um, from arts organizations have come from collaboration with uh, creative technologists. Um, I would, just to pick one thing out of the air in a way, I would say also um, funding for smaller scale experimentation, um, following on from some, what Dan said. Um, I mean, I've, I've been following the, the big audience of the future project. It's really interesting, great project, but is it replicable? Um, not unless you have 20 million pounds to spend. And I think perhaps what I'm not seeing so much is smaller scale funding for research and development. And what I have seen in the last 20 months has been, especially at the no budget end of artistic creation, or at least the low budget end of artistic creation, much of the most exciting work happening, like you were saying with, you know, for, for bringing dinners to people over Christmas. just It's just that's where the real innovative stuff happens. And to see some um, augmented support for that, I think would really reap dividends. That's a really strong note to end on. Thank you, uh, Paul, Daniel and Richard for talking to me today. The Pandemic and Beyond team are Sarah Hartley, Victoria Tischler, Des Fitzgerald, Karen Gray, Benedict Morrison, Garth Davies and me, Pascal Abisher. To get updates on the project, find out more about the latest arts and humanities COVID-19 research and to access other episodes of this podcast series, you can find everything you need on our website, pandemicandbeyond.exeter.ac.uk. And you can also follow us on Twitter at pandemicbeyond in a single word. Thank you.